Well, I'd like to welcome you to the City Temple live stream. This is just a part of our complete service on Sunday morning. And if you'd like to join us for the whole service via Zoom, please email us at info at city-temple.com. We are, we are welcoming and we are thankful that Pastor Rod will continue his series today with us. Thank you, Lord. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And uh, I love it. I've looked at it in, in the Greek as well as the English. I was just having a discussion this morning with a brand new translation of the New Testament, which uh, I really like the guy who did the translation. Uh, he, is, he is a Greek scholar but I was disagreeing with him a little bit on his translation of this passage, but that's okay. Uh, but uh, before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us to open your word up to us. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon me, that I can bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Of course, this passage is on the day, follows the day of Pentecost. Uh, we read that last week. And so we pick up with what happened with those uh, 3,000 uh, men and their families that came to uh, faith on that uh, Pentecost Sunday, starting with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I wonder what uh, you all were doing last night about 8 o'clock. Uh, I know what I was doing last night about 8 o'clock, and I uh, have to say, uh, I told uh, uh, Karen and Amy at home we were about to have a meal, and normally uh, we like to watch different... Uh, TV programs, and I said, you know, uh, we're going to watch the first five minutes of the football at least because they're going to score in the first five minutes. And they looked at me kind of strange. And then when they scored in the first five minutes, they're both, their mouths open up and they're kind of staring at me. And I said, well, we can watch something now uh, and because uh, they're going to score four times in this game. And, uh, and so... Uh, and it's great because we always knew when something had happened because we could hear it uh, uh, all over the neighborhood. So when we heard a cheer, we knew, hey, it's time to tune back into the game and let's see who scored. And, uh, and so they were kind of looking and everything. And it was a great night, right? A lot of fun, unless you're from the Ukraine. Uh, and I do have some friends from the Ukraine. And to you, I say, it's just too bad. My heart goes out to you. Uh, Better luck next time. Uh, so they, you know, they feel they feel my heart, and, and that. 
But, you know, I'm also very thankful because the victory yesterday and our exuberant celebration as England fans uh, really softens the blow of today. Oh, you, you don't remember. Today is the 4th of July, American Independence Day, baby. Hey, all right, yeah. It's the day that uh, uh, we remind the English, hey, we beat you up. You know, we're, we're tougher than you are. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Just think what you could have had if you, you know, gave us representation with the taxation. You know, might have had a better deal on this, but, uh, uh, but we try not to rub it in too much. And uh, I often, uh, I actually often forget about the 4th of July, but not very much. I mean, everybody, I usually get a few people to uh, send me a text message, you know, happy 4th of July. And I'm thinking, well, why are you saying that? You're English. But, uh, but you know, a lot of people got happier with American independence when Trump was the president of the United States. They said, oh, hey, that's good. Glad you guys are independent, you know. Trump's your president. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything about politics or anything like that. But it's really a funny thing with Americans because, you know, with, with England, like uh, they were saying, God save the queen. Now, I sing God Save the Queen exuberantly. I love the queen. I really do love the queen. It's an amazing thing. I wouldn't have loved King George back in the days of independence. I do understand, you know, why they said, no way, baby. Uh, but uh, I love the queen. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't hear the whole block singing God Save the Queen as much as I heard the whole block cheering at the England goals. And, you know, sometimes people are almost embarrassed about singing God Save the Queen. But, uh, you know, let's, that's a national anthem. Let's sing it exuberantly, right? You know, because that's what we do in the States. And a lot of times people wonder about why Americans are so patriotic. And they are. Uh, Americans are a patriotic bunch, uh, myself included. There are a lot of things I don't like about the United States. Uh, a lot of times I'm very glad that I spent the last 20 years here, not there. Uh, but I'm also, you know, thankful for my country. Thankful that I grew up there. Uh, thankful for the blessings and benefits of American citizenship. It's got its challenges along the way. Uh, but I'm not down on America. I'm not down on England either, by the way. I love the United Kingdom. I love England uh, with a passion. I know I would defend England uh, with my life uh, as I would the United States. And why is it that we have this, this patriotism? It's not because we're blind to the weaknesses of our country. It's because from our very childhood, we are raised with the story of the United States. You know, singing the national anthem. When you sing the national anthem, uh, you don't sit when you sing the American national anthem. You stand. And if you're not standing when you sing the national anthem, it's seen as being anti-American. If you're not singing for the, the English anthem, you're not really considered anti-queen in the same way. It's because from the very, from when I was in, in school, I mean, every morning we, uh, we face the, the flag of the United States 
I pledge allegiance to the flag uh, of the United States of America uh, and to the, uh, I can't remember it now. Uh, it's, it's, it's the COVID thing. And remember what I told you last week. With COVID, they say a few things go. The first thing is your memory and then, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, one, you know, one day when people stop laughing at that, I'll stop telling it. So we'll see how much mileage I can get out of that. Uh, but we did that every, every, every day at school. And the thing is, too, the difference with the United States and, is that you pledge allegiance to the Constitution, not to any particular leader. You know, every president pledges to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And so the reason we're so patriotic is from the beginning, we are caught up in that story. And the reason why so many children who are raised in the faith as Christians continue as Christians is because they're caught up in the story. You know, there's a difference between going to church and going to Sunday school as, oh, well, you know, this is the thing we have to do and we do it even though it's boring and we hate to do it, but we, we do it like taking our medicine. You know, and anybody's going to quit uh, after, you know, 10 years of that. There's a difference between that and saying, hey, we're going because we're part of God's kingdom. You know, we're a part of this story that started with the creation of the universe and will end with the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. And we're going to be part of this story for all eternity. And so let's go and celebrate it now. And so we have to understand the importance of this story. And we've been talking about that and how the stories that we choose to be part of and the stories that choose us as the gospel has done, uh, we have to be very careful because they determine our destiny. The story you live, the story you tell, is the story that will determine where you go, your destiny. And we believe that with the Christian story, it determines your eternal destiny, not just your temporal destiny. And so the story is absolutely essential, but we have to understand that the story of Christianity, the story of God's holy history, is not a story of individuals any more than the story of the United States that Americans celebrate on the 4th of July is a story of individuals. It's a story of a community of people. And that's especially true for us as Christians. The story we're a part of is not an individualistic story. It is a communal story. It's a story of a community of people who have been called together by God and who will continue to be together with God throughout eternity. And when we look back over the last 18 months or so, we can see very much how COVID has changed churches. And I said that this was going to happen back at the very beginning of the lockdowns and everything that God was going to expose things in the church of Jesus Christ, and he certainly has been doing that, and God was going to change things in the church, 
You might remember I preached uh, uh, just over a year ago now about three things that were going to happen that are going to be part of the church of the future, that the church would be dematerialized, that buildings and, and the stuff that we have was going to become much less important, that it was going to be demonetized, that money was going to stop being the focus, uh, and that it was going to be democratized. It's not going to be just about a few leaders, but it's going to be spread out amongst all the people. And this process is ongoing. But we're seeing this. Now, COVID-19 has exposed some of the weaknesses across the churches of Jesus Christ, but at the same time, it's opened us up to new possibilities. For us here at City Temple, it's actually increased the participation in the things we do during the middle of the week. It's expanded the number of things that we do during the middle of the week. It's reminded us that church is a people, it's not an individual. That's why I was so upset when uh, the Church of England proudly announced that it would open uh, up the churches for private prayer. Well, let me tell you, you have personal prayer, but you don't have private prayer because you pray as part of a community. And it doesn't matter if you're in your home by yourself on your knees or in the church in the middle of a group of people, you're praying as part of a community of people, the church of Jesus Christ. And this COVID thing has told us that again, and it's also shown us what is really essential for us to be church. That it's not just enough to tune in via Zoom and be disconnected online, that there is more to it than that, but it's also showed us that we can be more resilient and we can expand ourselves by embracing some of these new technologies. We need to understand this and that we're part of this story. If we are going to, as a community, we're part of this story as a community, if we are going to thrive both as individuals and as communities of faith. We need to embrace this reality because it determines how we engage with God's story. And so doing, I think as a baseline of our existence, we need to practice what the first Christians practiced and value what they valued. And these verses here in Acts tell us really what is at the heart of the church. You know, a lot of times what has happened over the years, especially in the last 30, 40 years, it seemed like church became all of this stuff. You know, if, in the United States, if you're going to be a, a big growing church, you not only had to have a nice big sanctuary with a, a, a theater type stage and and theater quality lighting and sound systems, but you need to have an indoor play area for your kids, and you need to have a cafe, and you need to serve donuts. Uh, of course, I'd go to a church that served donuts. Uh, but you need to have uh, donuts, and you need to have all these things, maybe ushers in your car park to help people get around and find the best parking spot, and all these things if you're going to succeed as a church. And actually, this passage in Acts says, well, you know, most of that stuff 
Well, actually, all that, none of that stuff was important. And so it shows us what they valued. It showed us what was really important. Unless you think that, well, we need all of this to succeed, we need to remember that in the first weeks of the church, they added, oh, somewhere around eight, 9,000 people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. We'll see more about that in a minute. So what is it that churches do? What is the baseline for churches? How do we participate as a community in the story of God and his salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, we notice that they devoted themselves to certain core activities. They devoted themselves. Now, this word devoted means they persevered in these activities. They weren't one-offs. They weren't something that people did, oh, when they felt like it. It wasn't, I'm going to do this for the next two weeks, and then I'm going to stop. It's kind of like when I got married 36 years ago. I told Karen, I said, till death do us part. Uh, you know, and I, I pledged my faithfulness to her. And that pledge was a pledge to remain faithful. It wasn't a pledge to, you know, I'm going to be faithful to you for a couple of years at least, and then if you do something to make me upset, then I won't be faithful anymore. Now, admittedly, there's probably a few times when Karen thought, yeah, to death do us part, maybe I should kill him today. But thankfully, it's not been that way. And, uh, and, and that's the same way in the Church of Jesus Christ. You know, when we're part of this family, we don't stop being part of the family. Now, your location might change. The particular group of people that you're with at any given time might change. I know that God does that for his benefit and for our benefit. So I've never been afraid of that. But we must understand that these early Christians, they were absolutely devoted to these core activities, meaning they did it and they kept doing it. They persevered in it. They allocated their time and their resources to these things. So what were they? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, now the apostles' teaching is contained here in this book that we call the Bible. And it continues today through the proclamation of the word, uh, among other ways. But they were devoted to that. They were into the teaching. They were into the word. They wanted to hear what the apostles, the leaders, had to say. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, fellowship means, that word koinonia, means the deep sharing of your life. It's not, hey, how are you doing today? but it means that we share our lives together. We make time for one another. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And when you read that phrase, the breaking of bread, as opposed to what he says later on, that they broke bread together in their homes, the breaking of bread for Luke almost always refers to the Lord's Supper or some derivative thereof. 
Remember on the road to Emmaus, uh, the guys, their, their eyes were open when Jesus sat down with them and he broke the bread. And that's what Jesus did in the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to do today, the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread was worship and devotion to Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to the worship and devotion of Jesus, particularly through the practice of the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves with prayer, to the prayers. And by prayers, we're talking about musical prayers, like our singing today, as well as spoken prayers. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. It wasn't just, oh, praying before meals. It was actually spending quality time alone and together with other Christians praying, realizing that when we pray, we're always doing that with other Christians. And the outcomes of this devotion were twofold. The people had this sense of awe about them, about what's going on, because they realized they were part of the story. I mean, it blows me away when, when I think about this. I mean, when I'm in, the, in this context, uh, like, you know, for, to have Amy with us and to have this friendship. You know, I met Amy's father almost 20 years ago accidentally on a train. Now, I, I'm not going to tell you the story, I don't have time, but all of the, the providential details that came together for us to have met and for Amy to be here today are impossible to happen accidentally. In other words, God determined that this was going to happen. And that is extraordinary. And if I see how God has dealt with even small details of our lives as a delay of a plane and the time you step on the train and the car you step into and the fact that somebody gets off early from work and steps into the exact same car that you're in and sits in the seat exactly opposite you. When I think that God is so caring about me that he's superintended all of those details for that outcome to have occurred, that's an awe-inspiring reality. That's an awe-inspiring reality. When I was in the hospital, there was one day, it was a dark, dark day for me emotionally. I mean, I was, I was really in the pits, really in the pits of despair. And... Uh, and I had this nudge, the Lord just, I just felt this nudge, uh, call Chris. Chris being a friend of ours, going to visit next week from the Isle of Lewis up in Scotland. Who's us be, meeting and being friends. Again, the number of sovereign details are impossible to recount. And, you know, I'm like, I don't want to bother him. And I talked to two or three other people. Nobody helped me. Nobody helped me. And so finally, I sent him a WhatsApp, and I said, Chris, can I, can, I, can I ring you on WhatsApp or FaceTime or something like that? I forget what we, how we connect. I think, it was, I think it was WhatsApp video. And he said, sure. And, and I did. And he gave me the exact thing that I needed to hear. And it immediately broke the darkness 
that had descended over me. I mean, instantly broke it. And, you know, and basically, what I remember of it, in case you're wondering, you know, what pastoral thing that he said, it was basically like, buck up, Rod. God's in control. But it's what I needed to hear. And it happened. And so the outcome of them devoting themselves to these things is that the people had this sense of awe and there were signs and wonders being done through the apostles. You know, I believe the reason why we are not seeing more signs and wonders today, and by the way, we do see them, and we've seen them here at City Temple. The difference is we don't make a big deal out of them, but we've seen incredible miracles here. People healed, God do all kinds of things. But I, the reason why the Church of Jesus Christ today doesn't see more of these is because the people of God are not really devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They're not really doing it. You see, these things set the foundation for everything else to happen. So that's the first thing that they did. The first thing. The second thing that we see here in this text is that all who believed were together. They were together. They were together in spirit and they were together physically as much as they could be. Now, they were not spending every moment of every day with each other. Otherwise, probably a lot of Christians would have died in those early days. We all know what that's like, right? They weren't spending every minute of every day, but they were making it a priority to be together with other Christians physically as well as remembering that they were always together with them spiritually, they were making that a priority of their lives. It says here that they had all things in common. Now, I don't believe that this means that they were communists, by the way. Uh, but what it does mean is that they shared their stuff. You know, they didn't think about private ownership in the way we think about private ownership. Yeah, they still had private ownership, but if somebody had a need, they would share in that need. They shared their resources, especially their financial resources. They wanted to make sure that people who had needs had those needs taken care of. By the way, we do that here at City Temple as well. Again, it's something that most people don't know and won't see nor should they see it. Because, you know, if people were walking around and said, hey, I just gave 100 quid to so-and-so because they needed it, well, you know, you're kind of violating uh, that, you know, don't let the left hand know what your right hand's doing kind of thing. But one of the things I'm so proud of here at City Temple is how people look out for one another. And they share their resources. As I said, they were not communistic. It wasn't that there was shared ownership or something like that. It wasn't like they were living in a commune, you know, where everybody is there and they're all in like one big house or something. That's not realistic. That's not how they were living. And you can see evidence of that later on in chapters four and chapters five. But they certainly were what we'd say communitarian, which means they shared their lives in a community of people that shaped who they were and what they did. 
You know, in our individualistic kind of frame of mind, it's like, well, I determine the des my destiny, I determine my outcome, and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll give to my church, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you guys as long as it suits me. Frankly, there's a lot of pastors that are like that today. There are a lot of ministers in a lot of churches around the world that I, I'm going to be with you guys as long as it suits me, but as soon as somebody gets upset with me or you don't do what I want you to do, well, I'm going to have a call to go to another church. But that's not the way it was. They believed that our destiny is shared and our destiny is shaped together. And therefore, my behavior is shaped by other Christians as much as I shape other Christians in my behavior. That's a communitarian lifestyle, and that's how they live in that way. So all who believed were together. The third thing is they met together day by day. They met together day by day. It says here that they met together in the temple and in their homes. Two places. Now, it just so happens that the name of our church is City Temple. Hopefully you like our new logo that's there. You can see that at the front. You'll see more of that in coming weeks. But, you know, so, so we can say, hey, we're really like the early church, more so than all of these saint-named churches, you know, like Saint What's-His-Face and Saint whoever she was. Uh, we're like, we're the temple, you know, so we meet in the temple just like they met in the temple. Hey, that's pretty cool, you know. But that's what they did. So there was a central gathering place, and yeah, I guess it could have been named Saint something or other, as well as the temple, but for them, they were Jews, so it would have been the temple in that day. Today, it's a church, and oftentimes a church building, although it wasn't always a church building, and they also met in their homes. And there was a season after the temple was destroyed when they predominantly met in homes or in converted buildings. They weren't purpose-built churches. In fact, generally purpose-built churches didn't exist for about 300 years until Constantine was converted, but that's another story. The point here is they met day by day, not just week by week or month by month, but they met day by day. It's always challenging for me when I go up to the Isle of Lewis because up there, uh, you know, if you're a committed Christian, you'll be in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night for the prayer service. Uh, and you'll do all three and then volunteer and do some other stuff. You know, and, and now in many places uh, here and in the United States, it's like, yeah, I'm an active churchgoer. I'm in church at least every other month. No, but these guys were really committed. They wanted to be together as often as possible. And, and that's one thing COVID has taught us, how important that is for us to be together. Uh, and one of the things I love about these guys, they love to eat. You know, they ate together with gladness and generosity. This means that they were eating good food. 
You know, I've had some food sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm not very happy about this. Uh, but, uh, but they were eating good food. They were having good barbecues maybe, or I don't know what they were doing, but it was good food because they were having fun when they got together. They ate together with gladness and with generous hearts. They were praising God both in the temple and in their home. And because all of this was happening, the people around them were really giving them favor. Even those who weren't becoming Christians were saying, wow, there's something going on there. Something is happening. Uh, oh, so many stories. I, 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 uh, okay, I've got to tell you that one because I started it, right? I just remember our first church. We had this, uh, I mean, because we were doing this. And we do this here. It's harder in London. Let's face it. It's tough. It's a challenge. But uh, my first church is a smaller community. And, uh, and boy, we were, having, we were having fun together in the church. A lot of things were going on. And then one day, a cousin of a couple people in our church who were radically saved, uh, he's now a, a pastor, actually, a cousin was talking to another woman who had started going to our church, but she didn't know that this other woman was going to the church. And so she was talking, she's, uh, and the, the cousin said to this other woman, uh, uh, she said, have you heard about the Presbyterian church? And she kind of played along. She said, no, what? That something's going on there. Really? Yeah. People are changing. Oh, it must be some kind of cult. You know, so it's great. I've been called a cult leader on two different continents now. So, uh, uh, you know, but, you know, that's a sign that something's happening. And that's, and that's what was going on. And then the final thing is actually not what they were doing, it's what God was doing. And I love this. It's one of my favorite verses of the scripture. The Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. I long to see the Lord adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. I long to see it. I pray for it. Because I know, I, you know, I believe in evangelism. I believe we need to share our faith. But unless the Lord adds to our number, those who are being saved, we won't see people saved. And I'm crying out to God. And I'm saying, God, please add to our number. But I've also been asking people a lot of questions. And they're hard questions because I ask myself the same thing too. You know, what kind of church does God want us to be so that he will add to our number day by day those who are being saved? Certainly it's the church that's persevering in all of this stuff. I think of, you know, a couple uh, like uh, the Ravellos have the, their young Jane. And, uh, you know, who are they most likely going to leave Jane with if something happened and they needed a, a, a babysitter? You know, would it be maybe their next door neighbor who's smoking, drinking, and chewing, and that's the wife, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and they, they have a, a, a junky house and everything? Or is it going to be somebody like Karen and me, who they know is going to take care of the little girl? Or anybody here in the church? I mean, we all would be that here. They're going to leave it with, with somebody who's going to care, right? 
Any parent would be crazy not to. Well, what kind of church is God going to leave his newborn children with? And that's what we need to become. I've asked a lot of people, it makes people, makes pastors, I've asked a lot of leaders, uh, it makes them very uncomfortable. I said, what if God has not given genuine revival because the Lord doesn't want to revive what's there? You know, maybe with a lot of churches, revival hasn't come because God's saying, you know, I don't want to resurrect that. I don't want to revive that. I'd rather let that die. I don't want to be that either. And I'm crying out to God in, in that. And I still believe God's going to send revival. But I'm praying and I say, God, I want to be the kind of church that you want to revive. Just like I want to be the kind of church that you can entrust your babies to. And I want to help up raise up other churches like that. Because I want to be able to say, yes, the Lord is adding day by day those who are being saved. And I believe this salvation from God is a God-given byproduct of living as the church is called to live together. And so I want to see that. And I encourage you to pray with me and long with me and seek with me to have that kind of church. And folks, I think that we're very close to being that church. Person after person around the world who has interacted with us has commented how healthy and strong we seem to be as a church, no matter our numbers. And so I don't ask these questions and I don't say these things to condemn us. I ask these questions and I say these things to spur us on to persevere with the Lord. It's like the Lord told me when he showed me five years ago, the seven and a half million unsaved people around us that we've been praying for since that time. He told me, he said, Rod, I didn't show you this to show you the greatness of the challenge. I showed you this to show the significance of your position as a church. And that's what God is calling us to but it's not going to be a superhuman pastor that does this. It's going to be a people of God coming together because our stories are intertwined. For better, for worse, now and forever, our stories are intertwined into the grand story of God's salvation history. This is not a one-person show. We are a community, and we need to understand that we go forward as a community we live as a community, or we die as a community. There's no other way to see it. And we have to break free of our individualistic mindset that so often has been the unwanted byproduct of the American Revolution. We have to break free of that individualistic mindset and come again to the community mindset of the early church. We need to realize that we're in this together just like the nun on the plane. There was a nun on the plane that was getting ready to take off and a Christian 
guy sat next to her, and this nun, I, she was terribly nervous. It was her first time flying. And she's going through her rosary beads, you know, praying. And uh, this guy, he says, he's a committed Christian, he says, uh, you know, sister, it's going to be okay. You know, you, you, don't, you don't need to be worried about this. You know, God's got us here. She's praying, she's praying. And, he, you know, he thought he'd comfort her more. He said, sister, um, listen, you won't go before your time. You know, trust the Lord. You will not go before your time. And she's praying. She says, yeah, but what if it's the pilot's time? We're on this journey together to the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And God has great things yet for us together. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you've called us not only as individuals, but you've called us to be part of a community of faith, a community of people sharing in the journey together. I pray, Father, that you would unite our hearts, unite our spirits, and unite our lives even more closely. And I pray, Almighty God, that you would unite us even more with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, especially in a moment as we go to the Lord's Supper. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We honor you and worship you. And thank you. Thank you that you are making us a community of people to whom you will entrust your children. Thank you that you are making us a community of people to whom you will grant revival, genuine revival. We love you and we worship you and we honor you for this. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to share...